Psalm 114, our call to worship. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Now let's turn our pew Bible to Exodus 33.12, and we'll be reading through 34.19, and that would be on page 73. This is right after the, the people have worshipped with the golden calf as they were waiting for Moses to come down, and God wanted to destroy the people because of their false worship. And now Moses is Moses is coming before God, interceding <coughs> and speaking to the Lord. 33.12 Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from, me, from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and, and, I, and I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for men shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, 
the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Thus is the reading of God's holy and wonderful and gracious word. If you would turn in your pew Bible, page 842, that is where we're continuing in our study of Mark. He has just uh, fed the thousands in the wilderness, and now we're heading into another familiar passage where he will walk on the water. So, uh, Page 842 in your pew Bible, Mark 6, verse 45. So is the reading of the word of the Lord. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So is the reading of the holy, preserved, awesome word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Drive your word deep into our hearts and our souls that it may course through us as our very blood courses through us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Christ has just presented himself as the giver of of manna from heaven in the feeding of the thousands in the wilderness. And he has more to teach his disciples about who he is and, and why he has come. So we might ask, why didn't the disciples understand what happened in the wilderness as Mark, Mark stresses in this story here? How come they were afraid of the Lord of glory? What didn't they understand about the loaves and how were their hearts hardened? And even more, do we really understand about the loaves? And do we harden our hearts as well? 
So let's take a look and see. We first see that that Christ, the Lord of glory, prays. He, He sent the people, He sent the disciples away, first thing. Immediately He made His disciples get in the boat and go before Him to the other side. To Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So in a sense, he's he's parting the sea of people one way and the other so he can go up to the mountain. He's, he's fed the people. He's filled their belly and their soul with the true manna from heaven. He is the giver of manna from heaven. And he sends them away. He sends the disciples away to cross over to the other side and and Jesus seeks to be with his Father. So he, he ascends up to the mountain. And he's freed from any distraction, for possibly even the windy weather we're going to be seeing here. He's freed from that. He's alone. And it's, it's good to see that Christ is alone with the Father. And if it's good for Him to do that, how much better is it for us to go and be alone with our Lord? And and we see sometimes in this day, uh, a lot of folks, they just always have to have activity, things going on. Always have to have noise around them. Even if... Even if no one else is around, they may be without any physical companionship or company. But they're never alone. They've always got their iPhones, their iPads, their computers, their television programs going. And sometimes we just need, probably daily, to be alone with the Lord. To commune with God and to decompress. If this is the practice that that Jesus had, going to pray for his people, for his disciples, and to be alone with with his Father, if he needs that, then certainly that is something we need to understand as well. And so Christ is taking time to be with his Father. And in the meantime, it gets to be towards the, the middle of the night. And, and Christ sees his, his disciples. And yet even, even at this point, he's still going to continue in prayer. When evening came, the boat was out in the sea and he was alone on the land. He saw they were making headway painfully. But he he still stayed with the Father for a time. There's no doubt he saw and knew what was going on with the disciples. But he knew they were in good hands. And so he stayed with his Father even as the wind picked up. And then we notice they're in in a bad windstorm and and we, and we see that this is probably mostly a windstorm. We don't get the uh, understanding that there's a lot of rain and lightning or anything like that. It's, it's just high winds. And they're struggling for hours against these winds. 
This wasn't like the last occasion on the sea where the storm kind of rose up out of nowhere and all of a sudden it was like a hurricane for a short time and then Christ calmed the storm. This They've been rowing for hours as Christ has been praying. Yet we know we saw them and and this, this begs the question, if it's dark, middle of the night, with wind and waves, how can he see them? Was this a miracle? Yes. How could this be seen with, with normal eyes? That just doesn't make any sense. But we know that in His incarnation, Christ is 100% man, 100% God. He is still God Almighty. Nothing is hidden from His sight. Especially not His, his struggling disciples. The eyes of Christ are always on His children. And He sees what's going on. So Christ the Lord is going to show the disciples once again a sort of a picture of his of his glory and he sees that they are struggling. So he goes out to them. Our faithful Lord leaves the mountain and descends to his people and that's a picture that we get in the Old Testament all all the time. I believe we just read that uh, in our Old Testament passage earlier. But he descends to his people and he treads upon the water. He walks upon the water out to his disciples like we're walking on a sidewalk. And it's, it's interesting, as he's doing that, they, they saw him walking on the sea, but he, he meant to pass them by. This, what, why does he mean to pass them by? What is going on here? How does that make any sense? He seeks to pass them by, and that's clearly, that's clearly what the text says. And he wasn't going to jump in the boat with them, but he was going to walk on by them. He alone spreads out the heavens, and he treads on the waves of the sea, Job 9.8 says. Why is he doing this? Well, let's see. The disciples finally catch sight of him. And they're they're frightened. They believe they've they've seen a specter, a, a ghost. So how could they even see Jesus in the midst of of the darkness and the waves and everything? Why would they think he was a ghost unless he had some kind of illumination. <clears throat> and so, Jesus may well have been seeking to pass by them and show them some of what 
of who He was. The glory of the Lord. So Jesus starts toward them as they as they cry out, believing that He's a ghost. And He, he speaks to them. says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Yet, the language he uses that we see here as it is I is very probable. It's translated elsewhere many, many times as I am. The very language Christ used in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The very words he used when disputing with the Pharisees, when he told them, no, your father is Satan. And he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And those are the words that God spoke to Moses when Moses wanted to know his name. He said, I am. So Jesus is telling the disciples as he's standing on the water, I am. I am God. So he starts toward them and he calms their fears. He knows that they don't have the, the faith as, as they should. So he goes to them to be with them in the storm. And this well, perhaps reminded them of that previous storm that he had been in the midst of them with. He had just spoken the words to calm it. So Jesus gets in the boat and the storm dies. This, this is the first time, remember, when he calmed the storm. He chastised the storm as he was talking to a three-year-old. Shut up. Be calm. This time he just stepped in the boat and the waves stopped. So this is the second time he has demonstrated that he is the one who once again treads upon the water. He is the creator. He creates the water. And when he tells the waves to stop, they have nothing to say back to him. They just stop. And the disciples... They're amazed in themselves beyond measure, it says. They're not still quite not sure what to make of this, as Mark tells us here. And so, do the, do the disciples understand that Jesus is, is the Lord of glory? And that's, that's answered 
in verse 52. They did not understand about the loaves. Mark reminds us of the very last episode. And it's interesting he doesn't talk about the previous uh, water miracle, the previous calming of the storm, but with the feeding in the wilderness of the, of the loaves to the thousands gathered around Jesus. So what was that they didn't understand about the loaves? Well, Jesus was the giver of the manna from heaven. He fed the people with five loaves. The disciples came to Him again and again and again to bring bread and food to the people assembled in the, in the desert over and over and over again. Five loaves. Maybe 20,000 people. Just as God had done in the wilderness with Israel. Every morning giving them bread from heaven. They did not understand that Christ was the one that gives them their daily bread. He was not. They did not understand His power. That He was their provision for daily bread. And even more, as John would say, that He was the bread of life. So their hearts are still hard. They've seen and heard Christ over and over again and they're still not fully understanding who He is. And yet, we see that the crowds have some kind of understanding in some way who Jesus is. When they had crossed over, Jesus and the disciples, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring him the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. When the people saw Jesus, what did they think? They knew he was the great healer. They knew when they saw Jesus, they could go to him and he would heal them. They had at least learned that very truth about Christ. That they would flock to Him whenever they saw Him, knowing that they could bring their sick to Him and He would heal them. Just as the Israelites went out every morning to collect the manna. They saw Jesus as the one that was going to take care of them and heal them. And they continue to flock to Him. They carry their sick to Him. He continues his healing ministry. And no doubt he was also out preaching as he was healing. And this seems to be a kind of a healing circuit that he's doing here. He's Just as he's had a couple of preaching circuits, uh, as we've talked about earlier, going to different cities and villages and, and preaching the word. That's the whole reason he came, he said, was to preach the word that people might live. And here he's kind of doing doing a healing circuit and, and no doubt also preaching the word as he's going 
and this was an extensive healing tour. And and it's interesting that even the hem of his garment, if touched in faith, heals. Now this is pretty exciting because uh, if you remember a few chapters back, or maybe it was chapter 5, the, the woman with the bleeding issue who came to Jesus uh, and said that all she needed to do was touch the hem of his garment and she would be she would be healed. And so many folks just that when you read them concerning that event, they they would say that that was a superstitious, goofy thing she was doing. It was a lack of faith, and and even even in that story, it's. Christ blesses and heals the woman and commends her for her faith. And even more, she's maybe been an example or been telling people, I just touched the hem of His garment and I was healed. That Christ would graciously accommodate people like this and heal them is is, is amazing and we've got no reason to doubt the veracity of the people's faith who went to Christ even just to touch the hem of his garment. And the people here, they, they do understand Jesus' amazing healing ministry and it even stands to reason that you know, they're Maybe folks here that they've come to Jesus many times for healing over the couple of years here. He may have healed some, some people several times of, of different illnesses and diseases. So the people have, have a, an understanding when they see Jesus, they, can, they at least know that, that that's what, He can heal them. And, and if they go in faith, that's going to be done. Even if the disciples had not quite come to the full understanding of who they who Jesus was as they as they should have by this point, that gives us things to ponder and to think about as well. What is the Spirit saying to us through this passage here? Christ was absent from the disciples for a time. As we started in, but he is never absent from us through the indwelling presence and hope of the Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of, of Christ and his Spirit dwelling in us since he has died and rose from the dead. And even more, if Christ took time to be with the Father, we must do so even more. Our lives, our spiritual lives are no better than, than what our, our prayer time, our alone time with God is about. Our lives are centered upon our prayer time and times. We desperately need that time with the Father every day. might not be for hours as Jesus did here. But whether it be in the morning, whatever time of day, to be alone with God and pour our hearts out to Him.
is essential. And then knowing Christ in this way, growing in our relationship with Him through a, a faithful prayer life, will help us to know who Jesus is and it will calm our fears as we meditate upon Him. Many, many of you might be thinking, well, what, didn't Peter try and go out to Jesus in this episode? Well, he did, but that was, Matthew relates that episode. And in the midst of the storm, Peter looks out to Jesus after Jesus has called out and says, and he been going nuts up to this point. And then there's Jesus on the water. And all of a sudden, Peter just says, Call me, Lord, and I'll come out to you. That's miraculous. And then Jesus walks on the water. Or Peter walks on the water. He's walking along, treading upon the waves. And then he looks down. He looks at the wind takes his eyes off of Christ and he starts to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And Christ takes his hand and leads him into the boat. But even in the midst of that storm, when he caught the eyes of Jesus and heard Jesus speak, he was calm. His fears were allayed and he walked on the water only for a minute. How much more in the midst of, of our lives, whether it be a real storm battering our houses or, or just life in general, how much more will we be calmed by Christ as we seek Him, look to Him, pray to Him, go to Him in His Word. And then finally, let's not be Let's not be deceived and harden our hearts. <coughs> this can happen to us just as well as it happens to the disciples. And, and this is where, yes, we, we do have to let the, let the Word of God dwell in us richly. We need to consume it and to eat it. It is the bread of life. It's sweet to a believer, as, as Ezekiel and and, and John the Revelator say, tell us it is, it, is, it is sweet like honey to those who love the Lord. And we let this word grow in us and we, we, can, we can pray it back to God. And God will, will use that word. He'll bury it deep into our souls. And we need to be refreshed every Lord's Day. We can't take this for granted. We are, we are coming together as the saints of God, spirit-filled saints before the Lord of glory, the myriad of angels watching over us in the presence of the King of Kings. Praying, singing, hearing from the Lord, calling back to Him through our songs and our prayers. This is a supernatural event. Powerful beyond what we can even see or imagine. 
And we just need to dwell. We need to dwell upon Christ and His works. On the miracles He's done in our lives, turning a stony heart to flesh. I mean, we're all born with a heart of stone until Christ comes in and gives us a heart of flesh. We're dead in our sin, and that is a wonderful gift. The greatest miracle. And just whatever other miracles you've seen Him do, whatever healings or, or blessings or unexplainable things, we dwell on these. We count them. We praise the Lord for them. And we don't allow the culture to conform us. You know, whether it be through the programming of TV shows or through pop culture of any kind, social media, whatever it is that is corrupting. <clears throat> we use them. We don't allow them to use us. So we see in this account that it's the King of Glory who commands all of creation. He walked upon the water as we do on land and that was frightening to His disciples. Just imagine that. Even after comforting them and telling them that He is, I am, their hearts were hardened. They, they hadn't understood. Just the previous great miracle of the feeding of the thousands. and They just maybe believed it was about food, but it was about far more. Christ is God. He's the King of glory. He gives us our daily bread. And we are safe in His arms. Even in the midst of whatever storm is, is raging around us as long as we keep our eyes focused on Him. So brothers and sisters, we must trust in this Lord of glory. We must always pray that the Spirit keeps our hearts soft. We must follow Christ wherever He goes, even if it's through the storm. Amen.